Our reading this morning comes from the Old Testament, the book of Joel, chapter 2, starting at verse 12. Now, it is quite a long reading, so you may find it easier to follow uh, if you, if you uh, choose to follow it by looking it up. It's on page 865, Joel, chapter 2, verse 12. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. Who knows, he may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people, consecrate the assembly, bring together the elders, gather the children, those nursing at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep between the portico and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? Then the Lord was jealous for his land and took pity on his people. The Lord replied to them, I am sending you grain, new wine and olive oil, enough to satisfy you fully. Never again will I make you an object of scorn to the nations. I will drive the northern horde far from you, pushing it into a parched and barren land. Its eastern ranks will drown in the Dead Sea, and its western ranks in the Mediterranean Sea, and its stench will go up and its smell will rise. Surely he has done great things. Do not be afraid, land of Judah. Be glad and rejoice. Surely the Lord has done great things. Do not be afraid, you wild animals. For the pastures in the wilderness are becoming green. The trees are bearing their fruit. The fig tree and the vine yield their riches. Be glad, people of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the autumn rains in righteousness. He sends you abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains as before. The threshing floors will be filled with grain and vats will overflow with new wine and oil. I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten, the great locust and the young locust, the other locusts and the locust swarm, my great army that I sent among you. You will have plenty to eat until you are full, and you will praise the name of the Lord your God who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be shamed. Then you will know that I am in Israel, that I am the Lord your God, and that there is no other Never again will my people be shamed. And afterwards, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful name of the Lord will be saved 
For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. Amen. Pray for you. Let's, okay. Father, we thank you for David. We thank you for your word this morning. We pray for your blessing on David that his words may come from you and that you pray that you would open our ears to hear what you have to say to us. We pray your blessing on him now. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. So I'm just going to get rid of this now. How are we all this morning? All right? Yes? Good? Joel. I wonder how you really are this morning. Um, can we have the first slide up? Last week, um, Patricia How was it? I can't remember. Uh, yes, thank you. Um, Patricia How uh, was speaking to us um, uh, about the book of Joel. And she, uh, if you haven't heard it, it was a very wide-ranging sermon, um, kind of established loads of the groundwork uh, of who Joel was, uh, which we don't really know, and when the book was written, which we don't really know, and um, what was kind of going on uh, that Joel was responding to, because he was responding to this great national tragedy of um, an invasion of of locusts which had destroyed the crops of the... Uh, Judeans and so that's where I pick up this morning and this is the 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 book of Joel is kind of in two halves the first half is this story of enormous tragedy and the second half is a story of enormous joy and this bit that I'm looking at this morning is the kind of turning point from one into the other so where we were left was a nation Riven by tragedy. There's an incredible image in that first chapter of uh, the, the locust swarm coming in and the Garden of Eden being before them. And as they sweep through, they leave a, a desolate wilderness behind. And where Patricia left the Judeans, they were standing in the wilderness, surrounded by the wastes of everything which they had tried to build, now brought to ruin. So I wonder how you really are this morning. Patricia, quite rightly, because this is kind of what Joel does, focused on the national tragedy of the situation and the group uh, response to that tragedy. And... Uh, like I say, I think that's what Joel was doing, but I also want to encourage us today to think about not just the group response to that, but also our individual response to that. And I, I really, it's an incredibly rich passage that I've been given, but I really just want to focus on four phrases, and I want to encourage you to uh, take ownership of those phrases. So... Let's look at the first phrase now. Can we have the next slide? In verse 13, 
Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Rend your heart. What does that mean? I've been thinking about it, and I think there are two ways of looking at it. And I think both are equally uh, important for us. So the first, the most obvious one is, and I think the one, incidentally, which I I think Joel was actually going for, was the idea of repentance. Big national tragedy. In the Old Testament, when big national tragedies happened, it probably meant there was a big national sin that had happened. And so they would... uh, what they normally do is they, they, they tear their clothes and they'd cover themselves in ashes and sackcloth. And it talks about doing that in the first chapter as this big outward display of how uh, repentant they were for the, the, the national sin. And in doing that, they hoped that God would uh, turn back to them and forgive them and restore their fortunes. And I think that's something which we... well it. I don't think, I know that's something which we need to do. We need to turn back to God in repentance for our sins. And this idea of rending your heart is about, not just about an outward display of sorrow and uh, repentance, but it's about an inward, uh, long-lasting expression of that. So we rend our hearts rather than our garments because it's not, you know, our garment can be fixed. Whereas when we rend our heart, it's, it's just this kind of um, much more deep-seated uh, response. However, as I've been thinking about this phrase, I think there is another way of looking at this phrase. And I don't, I do think it's biblical, but I don't think it's what Joel was trying to say. So do take it with a pinch of salt because I think it's informed by Western metaphors, not by ancient Near Eastern metaphors. But, rend your heart. I almost wonder if it's when we are in those places of desolation. When we look around us in our own lives at the wastes of our situation. When we're in despair, whatever that looks like for you. It can be, there are times where we feel like we can't come to God because we can't be accountable for what we'll do. We can't let ourselves feel the emotions of being in that place. And I almost wonder if what, uh, one way of looking at this, rend your heart, could be, let's come back to God in that place and tear open our emotions and God would say come to me this morning and tell me how you feel even if that's not going to be fun for either of us someone once said uh, writing is really easy all you need to do is sit as a typewriter and bleed And I feel like that's, repentance is easy. All you need to come to God and bleed. So I don't know what the waste of your life is. Some of you know, um, some of you know because I kind of had rather public kind of breakdown at the front of church a few months ago. Um, uh, Although I think that was in the 11 o'clock, so uh, (laughs) I don't know how much word got around. 
Uh, Liz and I have been going through quite a difficult time for the last um, four or five months, probably, since kind of Easter. And uh, I don't know, my response that hard, and it has struck to the heart of um, who Liz and I are uh, professionally. Um, it's struck to the heart of our self-esteem. It's struck to the heart of our feelings of um, security for our family, our financial security, our um, mental well-being. So that's some of what I'm bringing to the passage this morning. Is the last four or five months of uh, despair. I wonder what that is for you. Maybe it's a professional thing like it is for us. Maybe it's a, a health thing. I know there are lots of people in the church who are struggling with health issues, either their own or they're caring for someone who's been very sick for a long time and they have sacrificed and they have lost because of that illness. And in the church... Praise God, it's the last Sunday of the vacancy. And we've been talking about the vacancy for the last two years. And one of the things we've thought about uh, this time last year, or possibly October, November last year, we had um, a short series about being in the wilderness and what it means to be in the wilderness and how it feels to be in the wilderness. And being in the wilderness, as uh, Janet encouraged us to think, was, is not just about feeling abandoned, but it's also a time of great growth and great... Um, when you kind of deconstruct your idea of God and rebuild it in a much stronger form. And I don't want to pretend that we haven't... We've had a really good two years as a church. But praise God, next week it's over. <laughs> But there are people who have sacrificed so much to make sure that we had a successful vacancy. And as a church, what could we have done if we hadn't been in that vacancy period? There's always going to be, alongside what we built, there's always going to be a sense of, what did we lose to that? How much more could we have done? How many more houses could we have shone light into in Campbell? So maybe you're in church this morning and it's not about your own life. Maybe it's about where the church is this morning. And maybe we need to bring that to God this morning. Maybe you look at the world at large. You look at the looming climate crisis. You look at the last three years of British politics. Whichever side of the debate you're on, I think it's hard to say that we haven't lost three years of NHS funding, of schools funding, of police and the safety of our streets we have wasted three years for whatever reason and so maybe your heart breaks for our country this morning but I think what God would say is bring that to me claim this passage rend your heart and bring it to me the second phrase who knows? This is such an odd phrase in scripture because it's so faithless. Verse 14. Who knows? He may turn and relent 
and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. This is the people's hope and expectation of what might happen. They stood in the desolation, this wasteland of all that the uh, locusts have left behind. And they say, maybe, maybe if we pray and come back to God, we will be left with not what we need, not food for us. Maybe we'll be left with an offering for God. Who knows? I think that's... I, I described it as faithless, which isn't quite right, because it's, it's not... While there is doubt there, there's also the enormity of the statement, in the wasteland, in the wilderness... Maybe if we come back to God, at the very least, in the midst of nothing, we will still have our relationship with God. We'll still be able to come to him and worship and to pray. And if you are in that place this morning, I wonder if that's your forlorn hope, that at the very least, you'd be able to to pray, and that in the midst of nothing, you at least wouldn't lose that part of yourself, that relationship with God. And that's all they hoped for, that's all they wanted out of their repentance, was just not to break that relationship with God. And then God answers them. Can we have the next slide there's quite a lot of God's answer but the one I want to pick up on is in verse 25 I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten so God says you have lost so much And if you return to me, not only will I love you, and you will, not only will you know my love, but I will repay you for all that you've lost. The thing which started uh, my personal uh, difficulties was that uh, Liz got a job, and um, that job disappeared. And with it, uh, the, you know, we, we, we moved into a place where neither of us, um, Liz's job was coming to an end and neither of us were going to have a, an income. Or at least an income that we could rely on and live on. And we lived in that place for months. And... On the morning, Liz finished her job in the morning of one day and was offered a new full-time job on the afternoon of that day. God repaid what was lost. 
and I want to claim this one as well. I want to claim it for myself. I want to claim it for this church. I want the next two years of the ministry of this church to be greater than we could have done in the four years. I want to have more than double ministry in the next two years. And so I claim that. I claim that God will repay what the locusts have taken from us in the last two years. And I don't know what that looks like nationally and globally, but I claim it for our country and our world. And I don't know where you are this morning, but I pray that you can claim it for yourselves. God will repay what was taken. And for every hour sat in that room where there was sickness, for every hour that was spent weeping over everything that had gone wrong, every bad decision, that that would be repaid. But the extraordinary promise of this passage is that that's not where it stops. Let's have the last. (coughs) And afterwards, verse 28. After all of this restoration has happened and after the, um, the loss has been repaid, afterwards I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show my wonders in the heavens and on the earth. Because God isn't a God of uh, this simple relationship. It's not just about having, being able to pray and that's where it ends. It's not, it's not about repaying what was lost because God's love is abundant. I, I, I noticed in the, um, the first song we sang, And Can It Be, and Wesley was good, wasn't he? Like properly good. And there's stuff in there about, um, in the second verse, it really stuck, stood out to me. The, the, the image in the second verse is about and the angel who was created before anything else was created, who is spending his entire existence trying to explain how much God loves the universe, and he can't. Because the love of God is so overwhelming, so abundant, that it can't fit in one lifetime, even if that lifetime is infinite. And so I claim this as well. I claim that not only will God restore what we've lost, what I've lost in my life, what this church has lost in the vacancy, what you've lost in whatever situation you find yourselves in, what our country has lost, I pray that God's abundant blessing will be poured out on all of us. And that not just will we get back what we lost, but that we will know the enormity of his provision, the enormity of his blessing. The enormity of his active spirit with us, so that as we go out of this place, we are filled to overflowing. And I claim that as well. And Peter, 
in the book of Acts quotes this passage on the day of Pentecost. And I imagine Peter standing before that audience and looking back over the last three or four months of his life. I imagine him looking at the desolation of the cross at his best friend and his master dying on the cross and him hearing himself say the words, I don't know him, and fleeing into the night. And the weight of that loss. And I imagine him standing at the empty tomb a few days later with the questions, who knows? Who knows what this even means? I imagine him on the beach where he meets his master again, risen to life, and Jesus restores him and gives him the opportunity for every time he said, I don't know him, to say, I love you. (laughs) To restore what was lost. And then a few weeks later, He's sitting, praying in a room with his friends. And the fire of God falls on them. And they pour out into the streets. And they preach the gospel to all nations. Peter claims it for himself that day. And I claim it for myself today. And I hope you claim it as well. I want to pray. Lord God, I come before you this morning. And I know that I'm still not where I want to be in my life. I know that there is still... I still have this sense that I'm losing time and I'm losing... everything I've worked for. And Lord, I just want to bring all of my emotions to you this morning. And Lord, I'm sorry for when I've not lived in a way which pleased you. And I pray, Lord, that you would first renew my relationship with you that you would allow me simply to stand before you and pray and I pray that we would all wherever we are this morning would turn back to you this morning with only the expectation that we would have our relationship with you.
I claim so much more than that. Lord, I reclaim the restoration of what was lost. I reclaim my sense of who I am and my mental health and the security of my family. I reclaim everything that we might have done as a church in the last two years. I reclaim the environment. I reclaim this nation. And I stand in expectation that not only would you restore what was lost, but that you would pour out your abundant spirit on this nation, on this world, on this church, on this community, and on each of us. That you would pour out your love and provision and hope and mercy and comfort and joy. And that we would go out from this place not just today, every week, overflowing with the fire of your spirit. I claim all these truths for myself and for us all. And I pray these people with me would claim them for themselves as well. Amen. God bless you all richly. Amen.